welcome. You guys can find your seats. We always try to take an extended time for people to talk and mingle. And um, that's just a value that we have to get to know new people and see people you haven't seen all week. And so that's why we do that. If you got to your seat sooner, it probably means you were an introvert. That's okay. We like you too. No, I'm just kidding. I always say introverts are the best, uh, the best evangelists. They're the best people to share Christ with people because if they're actually talking about Christ and sharing with someone, they're doing it completely by faith. Like, that's the only reason they're doing it. There's no selfish motives. Like, I really like people, so let me tell you about Jesus. They're like, I don't like you at all. I don't even know how to talk to you, but I have to tell you about how my life's been changed, right? Like, and so God, like, honors that, I think. So I think introverts are some of the best of it, and they get to the point, right? Like, an introvert doesn't know how to beat around the bush and make small talk. It's like, hey, I need to talk to you about you, and they're just in it, right? We're, me, I'm like 30 minutes later, like, oh, wait, I got to tell you about something, right? Like, when I bought a truck uh, recently, I was, God had blessed us with the opportunity to, well, bless me with not dying in my own truck when the wheel flew off. That's a whole other story. I literally drove it till the wheels flew off. But anyway, um, but, but the truck we bought, the, the first time I went to look at it with the guy, I sat down with him, and we ended up talking for two hours, and I was playing with his dogs, hearing about his war stories and his work and everything else, and I'm like, oh, wait, we never talked about the truck. Like, two hours later, like, and so I had to go back the next night <laughs> and actually talk about the truck and test drive it. Um, and it was great. And we got to talk about God and conversations, but it was just one of those things. Like I can sit and talk for two hours, an introvert can get right to the point and by faith do it, and God just honors it. So we are starting a new series this week. I'm excited about it. I said last week I wanted to start it, but we needed to take a week to talk about what we did last week. Um, and our new series is going to be in the book of Ruth. And um, I don't know if any of you have ever read the book of Ruth, um, you need to. It's only four chapters, so for those of you who aren't readers, you have no excuse. It's four chapters. You can read it like eating a sandwich, okay? You can read through the book to get familiar with this book and who Ruth is and the story, because we're going to be in it over the next several weeks. And um, th this story is about a woman named Ruth. It's about her life. It's about what God did in her life and the circumstances that God used to do amazing and miraculous things that still affect our world today, that still affect you and I today because of this one woman. And when we read about her life, you're probably not going to be too amazed. It's a pretty kind of, you're going to be like, oh yeah, wow. Like there's not a lot of miracles that happen or amazing things. It's just this faithful woman, this woman who, who loves God, who uh, isn't an Israelite. She's not of Israel, so she's even kind of a foreigner, and she still commits her life to God and commits her life to serve an old woman. That's what she does with her life. Chooses not to get remarried, chooses not, to, but just to serve God and to serve his people, including this woman named Naomi. And so the, the story about Ruth is one of those stories that whenever anybody says, you know, that the Bible's all about men and patriarchy, I'm like, have you read Esther and Ruth? Like God, way back when, was, when it wasn't even popular to write about women, put women dead center in his book. Like, and actually, Ruth, we're going to look at this morning, everything we believe traces back to Ruth. Everything that we do as a church traces back to this woman, and we're going to see it this morning. It's amazing. And so as I've studied this book over the last couple of months and read through it and thought through it, it's just been really encouraging for me. And really, the theme of the book is simple. It's Redeemer Love. See, we live in a culture, um, and we know this is true, that we don't want to admit it, that we need redeemers. A redeemer is someone who, who buys back people, who, who saves people from the circumstances and the mess that they're in. Either they got put there by themselves because they... We just are idiots sometimes. Or they were put there and it was no circumstance of theirs. It's just the mess we live in called the world. And our world throughout human history always needs redeemers. You want to know why I know that? Because we've elected two presidents. The last two presidents have been elected because one side or the other thought they would be the redeemer, the savior, the one that would set it all right, make it all great. And neither, both of them failed. Because without God being the center of doing the redeeming, it's only temporary. 
If God's not the center and an agreement on his principles and the way that we're supposed to do life, then what happens is, well, we'll follow this guy or this gal for a while because it looks like they have the answers, and then you find out they don't. And so then you get another person, and we see this in our country all the time. We see this in movies. The two most popular movies are superhero movies and love movies, right? Romance movies. Why? Oh, there's my redeemer, right? The guys are like, there's my redeemer, right? The girl's like, oh, there's my redeemer. Some guys are like, there's my redeemer. Some girl's like, that's my redeemer. Like, I get it. Like, it's both sides. Some of you like superhero movies. I get it. Like, our youth pastor hates superhero movies. Don't hold that against him. You youth, like, don't hold it against Brian. He can't stand superhero movies. He really loves the sappy romances and sits on the couch with popcorn, and we, he doesn't do that either. <laughs> I'm going to throw him under the bus because he's not up here. Um, and so, but we, we see this. It, we pay billions of dollars to see movies and to read books and to hear stories about redeemers. Because we know we can't save ourselves, that we're in a mess, we need help. Now some of us are arrogant enough to think, I don't need anybody, I can do it on my own. And then you find out, I need help, I need others, I'm a mess. And that's why God gave us the church, that's why he gave a people, he said I wanna make a people for myself, not a person. He created Adam and right after that, he made Adam realize In the garden, in the perfect garden, he paraded all the animals in front of him so he would realize what? I feel kind of alone. I need somebody else. And God's like, I set you up, buddy. I set you. That's exactly what you need. Glad you realized it. And so he fashioned woman for Adam to create a family. Why? Because God is a family in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He in his essence is the Trinity. He's one person. He's unified in his being but three persons. That's like Father, Son, and a kid. It's an exact, everything we see around us is this reflection. And so when you look at this book of Ruth, this is an ancient book, but it's an exact picture of the issues of our day. Thousands of years old is this book, and it's still the same old, same old when we look around. This book tells us what it looks like to surrender ourselves to God, surrender ourselves to his people to serve. It looks... It's just this story, it blows me away when I read through it. It it tells us about how we're supposed to deal with homelessness, women, men, how women and men are supposed to act, how to treat the poor, how, how the poor are supposed to respond to that treatment. It talks about immigration in this book. It talks about employment. It talks about being a business owner. It deals with racism in this book. All of those things are covered in four chapters in Ruth. It's It's incredible. And the solution to our misery and our circumstance, we know this, it's a setup that God has set up all of human history to get us to realize we can't save ourselves. So that we cry out to him and say, God, if you exist, that's how I came to know the Lord, falling on my knees in my dorm room, my freshman year, empty of of myself, wanting to kill myself, but one of my best friends killed himself and I thought, I can't do that to people I love that have cared for me. So I just fell on my face. I cried out to God and the phone rang 30 minutes later and it was a student who told me about a redeemer, Jesus, who loved me, who gave his life for me, who who tells the truth about the mess we're in and the world that we're in and he calls us to stay in it, to be redeemers to the world around us, which is what Ruth does. And Ruth isn't the only redeemer in this story. You're gonna see in this story multiple redeemers. Multiple people who become redeemers for others and for their community. Because that's what we want to be as a church. We want to be people who bring and buy back people out of their pain, hold them accountable to what's true about God. And that's exactly what this book says. As we dive in, you need to understand where we're at in God's story. Okay, so the children of Israel... God raised up a people from Abraham. Abraham then had son, a son Isaac, and then Isaac had Jacob. And you see this lineage of God just using people, a family. And he begins to do that more and more, and that family grows and expands. And where we find ourselves is that the people of God have been delivered out of Egypt. Joshua, if you remember, some of you, Joshua fit the Battle of Jericho or the Veggie Tales movie where they march around seven times and the peas get smashed. Anyway, um, and so the little peas are the veggie too. I don't know if you remember that or not. They're little peas. That, okay, yeah, okay. Okay, so watch it. It's fun. And so 
Joshua was the redeemer for his people. Moses died. Joshua took over. He led them into the promised land. They're now in the promised land, but here's the deal. They're not doing what God asked them to do. God asked them to drive the people out that were there because of their wickedness, because of how they were killing one another and killing other people. And God said, I need you to go in and I need you to redeem the land. I need you to redeem other people. And there were tribes, there were people groups that submitted and God gave them a chance. They marched seven times around the city of Jericho. God didn't come in and just send fire and destroy it. He gave them seven days to repent. And then the walls came down. He gave them seven days to say, I wonder if these guys' God really is real or not. They won't fight us. They're not like coming at us. They're not trying to, what's, I don't understand this. And that's exactly where we find ourselves. So now here's where we are in the story. Joshua has come in. They marched in. They took some of the land, right? It's kind of like people when we come to know God and you make those commitments like, God, I'm going to be better now. And you're better for a while, and then you just end up in the same mess again. That's what we find in this story. Joshua says this, son of Nun, this is Judges 2.8. The servant of the Lord died at the age of 110. I really hope I don't live to the age of 110, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I think about that sometimes, and I'm like, I already hurt enough at 43. I can't imagine what I'm going to be like at 110, right? Like, I'm going to not be able to move. I'm going to need lots of redeemers in my life to like push me around. Like it's good. And, and that's good actually because it humbles me and it humbles other people that have to care for those that are humbled. That's God's plan in aging is that we learn that that's going to be us someday. And how do we help and redeem people who are in that circumstance? And it says they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in the Timnaheres in the hill country of Ephraim north of Mount Gash. So Basically, it's where his tribe land was. The whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. So in other words, the entire generation that marched into the promised land, they're all dead too. And it says, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. There was a failure there. The previous generation forgot to tell that generation of the works of the Lord. They, they, they probably told them about how to be moral and how to do business and how to do all these things, but they forgot to give them the heart of God and who he was and why he did what he did as they came through. They kind of just took it for granted. Isn't that what we do in Christianity today? So many people, we take God for granted, his mercy, his patience, his justice. It goes on and it said, the Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. You ever done that? You ever done what was evil in the Lord's sight? If you say no, you got issues. Because you may need to just talk to the person with you and they can explain to you what you've done that's been evil in their sight, which is probably evil in the Lord's sight. They can help you out, right? Because we all do evil. Our hearts are prone to that, to, to do what I want to do, not what I should do. I don't want to redeem anybody else. I want what's mine. And I shouldn't have to lay down my life for those yahoos because, man, I've, I haven't messed up as bad as they have. It says that's what they were. And they said they worshiped the Baals, that's other gods, and abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. This is sad. They've run to another redeemer. They've run to another relationship because it seemed like that's probably a better option. I mean, I know that God is God, and he's probably okay if I, you know, just add a little bit to my life. It's just a little thing, and... Then before you know it, you look up and your entire nation's a mess. Kind of where we are today. Right? We look around and go, how did we get in this mess? It's like, well, it didn't happen overnight. It's been a long process of stupid. Right? That's how I get in messes. Right? It's a long process of stupid. That's how I got there. I mean, almost inevitably. It's not like one day I just woke up and did something terrible. It's like, no, man, I did that and then I didn't go to bed. And then, I, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yep, now it makes total sense exactly what God's saying. It goes on, it says, they went after other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. Why? Probably because God wasn't giving them what they wanted, right? And it's kind of a cyclical thing. When God doesn't give you what you want, your response to that's really important. Is it patience, trusting God, knowing that someday he will, and it may be after your death and you go to heaven and you'll get it? Can you trust him or not? Because this is what happens. When we stop trusting God, we start running to other things, 
And it's the same process for them. So don't be too judgmental towards these poor Israelites because we do the same exact thing. And it says, they infuriated the Lord, for they abandoned him and worshiped Baal and the Asherahs. In other words, they're running to other gods. And you know what's interesting about God is when you turn your back on him, what, what often happens with God is he takes his hand off. He doesn't like come in and beat you. All God has to do to punish you and punish me is just take his hand off. I mean, I've told my kids this growing up. You'll know it's bad for you when there's no bed in your room. Like, like you're going to come home and there's nothing in your room and no bed. And you're going to be like, where's my bed? I'm going to be like, you ready to like come back to the top and acknowledge that we provide for you and you need to do the chores and do basic stuff because we care about you and you ready to humble yourself? No. Well, we'll give you a room for now, but that might lose that too. I don't know how else to get your attention. You don't have a bed. <laughs> well, I'll move my own bed in. Eh, that's not going to work. I'll take that one too when you're gone. Like, that's what God does. And so what happens is we keep getting this resentment and this anger because we say, they don't love me. They don't care about me. And God's in heaven going, I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to lovingly discipline you. I'm still giving you a house. I'm giving you a room. I'm giving you a roof over your head. But you're so ticked off about not having your Xbox in your bed, you can't function. And so then you just keep, I'm going to go live with my friends. I'm going to go live, I'm going to... You see this all the time. It's the same exact process. We haven't changed in thousands of years. He goes on, it says, the Lord's anger burned against Israel and he handed them over to marauders who raided them. See, that's what good parents do. Good parents know there comes a point where it's like, I can't do that. I'm gonna have to turn you over to yourself and to God. And as much as that hurts me, as hard as that is, there's no other option. You won't respond to anything I do. It goes on and it says, he sold them to the enemies around them, and they could no longer resist their enemies. Whenever the Israelites went out, the Lord was against them and brought disaster on them, just as he had promised and sworn to them. In other words, he told them ahead of time this was going to happen. He said, if you turn on me, it's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse until you finally wake up and come back and repent, and then we'll start back over again. He goes on and says, so they suffered greatly. Yep, that's exactly what happens. We suffer greatly. He goes on and says, the Lord raised up judges. Look at this. God could have just left it there and be like, you guys just suffer. I'm going to hang out in heaven. I'm just going to let the earth kind of go by its way, send an asteroid eventually, blow you all up. I'm good in heaven with my, my son and the Holy Spirit and my angels. I'm done with you people. God doesn't do that. What God does is he sends judges. He sends righteous people. He sends people into the world to call out the evil. He still does that today. And it says, who saved them, from the power of their marauders, but they did not listen to their judges. <laughs> so God mercilessly keeps sending all these judges through the books of Judges, and the whole time they're like, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? Judge rises up, you know? President rises up. Senator rises up. Whatever it is, and they help me out. Now let's get the next guy in. Done with him. Next guy in. Done with him. Next guy in. And we don't change. Our hearts don't change. We just want our circumstances different. No different here. And then it says... But they did not listen. Instead, they prostituted themselves with other gods bowing down to them. That's kind of a pretty harsh word. Prostituting? It's actually true. That's what God, his favorite word, one of his favorite words in the Old Testament to describe the rebellion of his people is prostituting. You just give yourself away. You give your body away like it's nothing. For gain. You're not even forced to give it away. You're giving it away for your profit. And don't we do that? We easily give ourselves away to things because it feels good, because it pays well, because it's whatever else, instead of asking the question, is this really what God wants? Am I willing to endure whatever the pain or the problem is in my life because I believe that God can deliver me? Then it says, they quickly turned from the way of their fathers who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. I love that passage. They really didn't walk very well. If you read in Joshua, their fathers weren't that great, okay? But God is able to say they were way better than you. <laughs> like, like, they at least tried to obey the commands. You don't even try. You make excuses for why you don't have to. You just make up new commands. At least they tried. At least they brought sacrifices when they failed and meant it from their heart. You guys just bring sacrifices and expect me to be fine with like your little token gift you gave me. It goes on and it says, they did not do as their fathers. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for the Israelites, the Lord was with him. 
and save the people from the power of their enemies while the judge was still alive. That, that's such mercy. God's like, you guys are idiots, but I'll send somebody to help you. Send a little, maybe he'll get your attention. Maybe, maybe if you repent, maybe somebody will get it. And so God raises up people. That's you and me, even in our own culture. He asks people who will be willing to say, I'm willing to be a judge to my culture. Not judge as in I condemn you, but judge as in you don't do what's right and I'm gonna give my life to you and tell you that what you're doing is not right and still give my life to you while I tell you what you're doing is not right. That makes no sense, but that's the gospel. That's the Bible. And it goes on and it says, the Lord was moved to pity whenever they groaned because of those who were oppressing and afflicting them. Whenever the judge died, the Israelites would act even more corruptly than their fathers, going after other gods to worship and bow down to them. They did not turn from their evil practices or their obstinate ways. Man, that's some... That's just speaking it like it is. The Lord's anger burned against Israel and he declared, because this nation has violated my covenant that I made with their fathers and disobeyed me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. You're gonna have to live with this now. You're gonna live with the consequences of the mess you've made. And for the righteous people who were a part of this, you're gonna have to live with the consequences and be a redeemer to your fellow brethren even though you have tried to do the right thing, you're going to live with the mess as well. Like This is just so our world. He goes on and he says, I did this. Why? To test Israel and to see whether they would keep the Lord's way by walking in it as their fathers had. How many of you like tests? Right? Yeah, you love, love a good test? Like, Love studying for it, preparing, pulling the all-nighter. I mean, studying two weeks ahead of time, a couple hours a day, getting ready for it so you don't have to stay up all night like I did last night. Anyway, so, like, tests, all they are, tests are designed to find out what we know, what we believe. God's saying, I put these things here not to punish you, but to try to show you what's really in there. And isn't it interesting that when we do badly on tests, most of the time we don't think, Boy, I was an idiot. I didn't study. I'm not very smart in that subject. I'm probably never going to get it, and that's okay. There's other things I'm good at. Like, we don't self-evaluate. What do we do? That dumb teacher, dumb test, those dumb people, right? Everybody else is the problem. The test is the problem. It was skewed. We need a curve. We need a curve on that test, right? Same at heart. We haven't changed in thousands of years. And God's like, I've done this to try to test you to see what your response will be when you come to the place where you realize you've got an F. What's your response going to be when you wake up and realize, I got an F. I don't know what to do with this. Will you come to me and say, help, I don't know what to do. I, I submit myself to you. Because very few students ever do that to teachers or professors, let me tell you. It just doesn't happen. I'll do whatever you need me to do. I'll, no, it goes on, it says, the Lord left these nations and did not drive them out immediately. He did not hand them over to Joshua. 21, 25, as you get to the end of Judges, this is what it says, in those days there was no king in Israel and everybody did whatever he wanted. We've elected two presidents, two presidents, and both of the other sides of the aisle have said, that's not my president. Sounds a lot like Judges, 21-25 to me. Well, I didn't vote for him. Doesn't matter, still your president. Well, he's this and he's that. Doesn't matter. It goes on and it says, does that mean I got to agree with him? No. Not at all. It says there was no king. In other words, there was no one that people would follow. That would, they wouldn't let, allow themselves to be led by anyone. And so what did people do? They just did whatever they wanted. And you know what we keep electing? People that keep promising us, promising us that we can do whatever they want and they'll deliver us from it. We just keep electing the same message. Do whatever you want, I'll pay for it. Go as in debt as you want, we'll forgive it. Live however you want. No consequences for your health. We'll pay for it. And God is saying, maybe if you just listen to me, if 
you'd ask. And so we, I read this to you because this is where we find Ruth. She's in the middle of this mess. This book was written during the period of the judges. You want to know how I know that? During the time of the judges. <laughs> Because the Bible tells me that's the way it is. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. Why is there a famine most likely in the land? Because God's loving. He's trying to take the bed out of the room. Get their attention. You can't eat now. What are you going to do? Oh, we're going to go sacrifice to the Baal fertility, you know, harvest gods. We're going to, you know, try to partner with as many nations as we can to get our food. We're going to make a new trade agreement. I mean, it's going to be awesome. It's going to save us. It's going to save our country. It says this, during the famine, a man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to live in the land of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the land of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband Elimelech died and she was left with her two sons. Let me explain to you who the Moabites are. This is critical for you to know. The Moabites, this is race problems. The Moabites were the people group that traced their lineage. Like we know, we know that everything traces back to an original human, right? Homo sapiens. Like even science tells us this. The Bible told us a long time before science did, but even science tells us this is what we have to agree with. Moab, you ready for this? Moab were the group of people that came out of Lot's two daughters getting him drunk and sleeping with him. After Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by fire, by God, and Lot and his wife and his kids, his daughters, fled together. And his wife looked back and got turned into a pillar of salt, the Bible says, because God said, don't look back, move forward. Trust me, don't look back at what you want or think you want. She disobeyed. She was turned to a pillar of salt. So when his daughters panicked because their husbands didn't come, it was just his daughters, and they didn't know what to do. They took matters into their own hands, got their father drunk, slept with him, and had children, and that's the Moabites. How would you like to be descended from that line? Let's see, we got the Abraham people that have the covenant from God, and then Jacob, and oh yeah, we're, dis we're descendants of the covenant. Oh, you're descendants of Moab. Ooh, it's kind of nasty. I don't know. I don't even know what to do with you. There can't be anything good that comes out of that. God can't, God can't redeem that. God can't use that mess. And that's where they're at living right now. I don't know if Elimelech did this because he was righteous, he did the right thing by leaving. I, we don't know. Sometimes we try to read into the narrative. Look, we do stuff every day and we don't know how it's going to turn out. People ask me sometimes, they're like, oh, your kids, like, just seems like they're, they're really growing and walking with God. I said, give it 20 more years. I have no idea if what I did was right. Let's wait until they have their own kids and like, that, that's going to be the proof, not right now, right? Like, they're not married yet. They don't have the other person they have to love. They don't have these little ones that don't listen to them. They, don't have, like they, they have not been tested yet. My parenting style's not been tested yet. That's why I don't like to read books, honestly, from parents who have written books in their 30s. I'm like, I'll read it, and, but I'd rather hear from somebody who's 80, you know? I, I just would. I, I want to hear about how it all worked out. That's the story. We're getting how it worked out. We're not saying this was the right thing to do. It's like everybody's doing what was right in their own eyes. Elimelech's like, well, I don't know what else to do to feed my family, so we're going to go to Moab. So he goes to Moab. It says... Her two sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpha and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years. So they've been 10 years in Moab. You think being in school for four years is hard and another four years for your master's and doctorate is hard. They've been 10 years in this terrible place where they're like probably having reverse discrimination happen to them because they're the Israelites living in Moab, right? It's a mess there. They're mocked because it's like, yeah, your God didn't feed you. Your God doesn't feed his people. But hey, we're being fed. Seems like our gods are better than your gods, aren't they, Mr. Elimelech and Naomi? You can just feel the tension in this. And then it says, look at this. After, and it says, after they lived in Moab 10 years, both Mahlon and Chilion also died 
And Naomi was left with her two children and without her husband. Without her two children and her husband. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to leave the land of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people, people's need by providing them food. Listen, in this culture and in this day and age, for a woman to be left without a male heir is a serious issue. You want to know it's serious? Because two daughters slept with their father because they were concerned about them not having a male heir. We're seeing a woman who says, I'm not going to do what God doesn't want me to do just so I can fix my circumstances. I'm willing to humble myself and go back to the mess. You got to remember, she would have probably been considered kind of traitorous. Like you went and lived with those Moabites. Really? Oh, what was that like? Oh, that's just, oh. And now she has to kind of eat crow and move back. It seemed like the right thing. Naomi's just in the middle of circumstances. Maybe not even knowing, was that the right decision to go to Moab? I don't, we did it and now I got to go back and I, I don't know what to do except, you ready for this? Naomi's saying, I know this, I need to return to my Redeemer. I need to return to where my Redeemer says he's going to show up, which is in the land of promise. I need to return back there. I got to go back. There's no other option. And I've heard stories that, that there's food there now. So Naomi decides to go back and she left the place where she had been living accompanied by her two daughters-in-law. Can you imagine this? elderly woman walking all the way back miles and miles and miles I mean hundreds of miles walking three women in this culture that that's some that's some serious humility right there folks that is some serious humility and it says accompanied her to, by her two daughter-in-laws and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. She said to them, each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show faithful love to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord enable each of you to find security in the house of your new husband. She kissed them and wept loudly. You ever, have, you ever, have you ever been with someone and they're weeping loudly? It's not necessarily a real comfortable situation. You feel pretty powerless. You can't like slide a zinger in there of humor to like get them out of it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that didn't work. They're still weeping bitterly and loudly. Naomi is broken right now. She has no idea if her life meant anything. Her sons are dead. Her father's dead. She can't feed herself. She's marching back eating humble pie. She, man, you talk about, you think you got bad circumstances. This is hard. And it says, no, they said to her, we will go with you to your people. Wow. Like Naomi must have been an amazing woman for these two daughters-in-law because it meant they were going to give up their future. It meant they were all going to be old maids together. It meant that they weren't going to be remarried. It was going to be over. They were going to just give their life to taking care of Naomi because of how well she took care of them. Naomi must have been an amazing woman before we criticize her too badly, that even amazing people can get to the point where they are absolutely depressed and empty and broken. That's what the Garden of Gethsemane tells us with Jesus when he is on his face in the Garden of Gethsemane, weeping, asking God, is there any other way? And God says, no. Looks and it says, she even says, may the Lord show you favor. She's like, go back, you have a life to live. Just let me die. Just let me die. I, I don't want you guys to suffer. You shouldn't have to take care of me. You shouldn't have to be my redeemer. I, I, I don't even know if what we did was right. If we raised you right, I, I don't know. Just, just go back and get a life for yourself. And I pray God will be with you in that. I'm, I'm just, this is so sad. And then she goes on and says, but Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? I can't help you. I can't redeem you. I can't, I, there's nothing for this relationship anymore. It says, return home, my daughter. She keeps saying this, return, go away from me. Can I just tell you, this is the normal response of depressed and hurting people. Isolation. 
I want no one in my life. I'm just going to wither within myself. I don't want to invite anybody into my mess. I don't want anybody to help me. I'm just going to die. Found out a statistic from our dean of students at IU this week. He was talking about meeting with other Big Ten schools, and he said, right now, 42% of the incoming freshman class at the University of Minnesota, at the University of Minnesota, has been diagnosed with a mental illness, and they're on mental illness drugs. 42% of the entire incoming freshman class. At IU, it's in the high 20s, low 30s. There's a bunch of Naomi's. Our world has created a mess just like the time of Judges and people are hurting and they're trying just to figure out how to get by in life, how to feed themselves, how to survive and God is crying out just like in this time period saying, I'm still here. I still want to know you. I still want you to have a hope and a future. It may not be in this world, but definitely one that's going to come after. It's the same message. And then it says, go for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? (laughs) I love this. She's like, and there's no way you'd wait that long. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares for me that much that even if I had more sons, you got to wait like 15, 20 years till they grow up. And then that's weird. You're married. That doesn't like it, you know. I mean, Naomi's just, now she's just making stuff up to try to drive everyone away in her life. You ever been there? You start living in your own head, making up stories, dealing, because you just want to get everybody out of your way because I'm, I, just, I just want to die. And God in heaven is saying, that's not my desire for you. I want to redeem your life. I want to buy it back. I want to take back the mess and show you that I can give you grace and forgiveness and that I can start walking you down a path of restoration. He goes on and he says, would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? And I know, you guys, like, you're young, and you're going to say you're going to do this, but then, you know, you're going to look around, there's going to be a cute boy, and you're not going to be able to take it. You're going to have to take, you know, you're just going to run to the bales and run to the asterisks. You can't just serve the Lord and serve me. I mean, I get it. It's hard. It's tough. And, you know, and you want a life. You want to, you just, goes on, and it says, no, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. God didn't say his hand turned against her. She's just living in a mess. She's living in a place where everybody's hands have been smacking each other around. And she's just getting beat up with it. Goes on and it says, again, they wept loudly and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Look at this. Orpha kissed her mother-in-law. She comes up and kisses her and Ruth is just like clinging to her while she's weeping and she's in her pain. She won't leave her alone. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. In other words, Orpha, she turned away from God. She turned away from the Savior in Judah and turned back to the world. She decided, you're right, I want to have a life for myself, and I don't want to have to give my life to anyone else. It's, it's good teaching. I'm, see ya. Die in the wilderness. I'm gone. Can I just tell you that's what a lot of churches teach today? If you're not happy and blessed, then you need to... You need to move on. You need to get your blessing and your happiness. And goes on and it says, follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, I love this, do not persuade me to leave you or go back and not follow you. This is incredible. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May Yahweh punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. That's a redeemer. That's a redeemer statement. That's a covenant. That is someone looking at someone and saying, you can try, I am not giving up. I am not giving up. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm not going to live in this. I'm going to give myself to you even if you don't want me to. Because it's not about you now, Naomi. It's about God. It's about him. And I know he is my redeemer. 
And he's asked me to be yours. And so I will give up all of my future. I won't have any children. I won't have another husband. I won't have a future. My future is now only this, taking care of you, an old woman. That's the future I have left. And I'm okay with that because I know that Yahweh will do this through me. And I even say to him, you can punish me if I don't follow through on this covenant with this woman who's loved me and taught me about you. How did she know his name? How did she know that this is the right thing to do? Because Naomi had taught her sons and daughters about the goodness of the Lord. That's how she knew. She's like, I'm not abandoning the God you told me about. And we're going back to his land. All right. I hate living with these Moabites. I'm done. Like, I can't wait to get there. And I... I want to be with your people. I mean, can you imagine? This is like crazy. This is, this is not what we do. To give ourselves to other people this way. Sure, we'll give ourselves to God this way. But God says that the, Jesus said the two commands are the same. Love God and love people are two in one command. You can't separate the two. This is the perfect picture of the command of God to love God and love people, to give your life. Listen, Ruth didn't ask for this. She's a Moabite, happened to marry this Naomi's husband, you know, boy. Like, I didn't know what I was getting into when I married him. I thought we'd be pretty good off. I thought everything was going to work out fine. You know, everybody seemed healthy, and then they all died. Now I don't. goes on, it says, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. <laughs> I love that. The Bible is just so, like, okay, I'm not even going to try to persuade you. Fine. I, I see that. Like, okay, fine. And she's just marching on. She didn't say, oh, thank you. Oh, it's so wonderful that you, like, she just looked at, okay, great. Because yeah. why? Because she's a mess right now. Naomi is so broken in her life, and God has been so good to her to give her Ruth. She just watched Orpah walk away. Now she's watching Ruth give her life away. And then it says, the two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. And the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Whoa. You probably thought you were going to get one response when you came in, right? Like, oh, there's Naomi who went to Moab. And, and instead, people are excited to see you again. This shows us that Naomi must have been a woman of faith, incredible faith. And even people of incredible faith can come to very low moments. And it says they... Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. They're coming out celebrating, Naomi, hi! And she's just like, call me Mara. <laughs> Have you ever met one of those women in your life, right? You tell them something, they're like, yeah. you know what Mara means? Bitter. The name means bitter, just call me bitter. Yeah, it fits. Yep, I'll call you that. We're good. You are a bitter old woman. <laughs> It goes on, and she answered, for the Almighty has made me bitter. No, he did not make you bitter. You're still bitter about him making you bitter when he did. It wasn't, what other, <sighs> because that's what we do. We blame God. Well, God did this to me. Wow, why is he doing this to me? You live in a terrible time period. You live in the period of the judges. No one's ruling. Everybody's doing what they want. What do you expect to happen? Like, you'd be lucky you're not dead. You're right? He goes on and says, look at this. I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty. Can I just tell you, that's exactly what God does every time in our lives. He sends us away full so that we can give it all away, give ourselves away, and have to come back to him empty to say, God, we need you to fill us back up. That's the plan. It's what happened to Jesus. It said he emptied himself of his rights to deity, and he emptied himself on the cross on our behalf. That's this passage. And it goes on and it says, I went away. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has pronounced judgment on thee and the Almighty has afflicted? She's still beating herself up. For what? We have no record of her sin. God didn't say she sinned in any way. And typically he calls out sin pretty clearly, by the way. When he wants to tell people they're sinful, he just mentions, he just like says it in the Bible. And he did this, like boom. We don't have any record that this, she's just so caught up in her own mess she can't experience the redeeming love of God. So Naomi came back from the land of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabitess. I love this. 
Ruth the Moabitess. There's that racism term. Think of a racist term in our culture. That's what that is. That is a racial slur. That Moabitess. I mean, we like Naomi. She's one of us. Why does she have to bring that Moabitess with her? That Ruth. Ugh. You know what her great, great, great dad did? Ooh. Goes on and says, they arrived in Bethlehem. <laughs> the beginning of the barley harvest. Who was born in Bethlehem? Anybody know the Christmas story? Who, yeah, who was born in Bethlehem? Thank you, yeah. The right answer is almost always Jesus, by the way. I was at the choir competition yesterday, and a dad came out, and he had an AutoCAD program, and uh, he and I talk about faith quite a bit, and he had all these numbers, and he was struggling to get the answer, and he got so frustrated, he turned three pages back, and he goes, you don't know what my solution was to me not figuring this out at work? I'm like, no. He turned back, and on one page, he wrote Jesus like 10 times down the papers, like, and that's what I told everybody in the office. That's my solution. I can't fix this. <laughs> and I left Friday, and it's still not fixed. <laughs> I'm like, well, at least you shared the gospel with people. <laughs> It's the same thing here. He's looking at Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. There's a, this, the barley harvest was celebration. It's like this was the harvest that you brought in first to see if is the other stuff going to come in. I mean, this was the moment of like God provided. We're going to be able to survive till the like, next harvest. Woo! Like this is a time of celebration. They're going to Bethlehem. God could have put Ruth any place on the planet. He could have put Naomi and Ruth in any city in his empire, and he is choosing by his sovereignty and his choice to stick them in Bethlehem. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side named Boaz. You know what Boaz means? It means strong arm. It means strong arm. This guy that was this strong arm. And when we get to see Boaz the next couple of weeks, he doesn't look like a strong arm guy. He's a very merciful, strong, merciful, caring individual. You got Boaz who's here and he's ministering to the people around him. And now we have this new name, this new redeemer. Is Boaz going to be a redeemer? It's almost like you're reading the story. Is this the answer? Like those of you who, you know, you read those romance novels or TV shows, you know, and you're like, here comes the guy in the Hallmark movie who looks perfect and he's a widower, right? Like it happens every time. Like he's a widower, he looks great, he's coming in and he's going to come to the rescue of the damsel, and, right? So they borrowed that from this story, by the way. They stole it. God wrote it a long time ago. He marches into the little town of Bethlehem and it's Christmas season and the snow's falling and the Hallmark movie. Yeah, I... I Wait, that's God's story. It says he was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. That's always the case. He runs the family business. He's got great character in the town. Like, we love these stories because it's God's story. And he's looking at this and he says, look, and now we're like left in suspense, right? Like, now what's going to happen? Well, you got to come back next week to find out what's going to happen. Or just read the story. It's there. I'm, I'm just telling you what's there. But here's the crazy part. Are you ready for this? As we wrap up, I want you to think about this, these two things. God has designed this all sovereignly with his plan. You want to know how I know why? This should make you like kind of get chills. Luke 3.23. This is the lineage of Jesus Christ. This tells us where Jesus came from, how he was born. As Jesus began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old and was thought to be the son of Joseph. It goes on and says the son of David. And there's some, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz. Son of Noah, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. God is getting ready to take this story and turn it upside down. He is going to use the Moabitess to bring the Savior of the world into existence. Ruth just serving an old lady. She didn't know her life was going to turn out like this. She's just being a faithful redeemer to the people that she's been called to give her life to and to her God. And God's getting ready to go, oh yeah, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. 
I'm looking for people like that, moms and dads and daughters and sons. I'm looking for people that will get, that it can go all the way back to Abraham and it's just people's lives. Tell me, do you know what King David did? Yeah. Do you know what Obed did? No, you don't. Because Obed just was a good man who raised a family and fit in the lineage of Christ. Because God has all kinds of people in his plan. And not only is Jesus mentioned in that lineage, but God makes sure to mention it twice. Both in the lineage of Mary, which is probably that lineage, and this is the lineage of Joseph. Remember, he wasn't born because of Joseph getting Mary pregnant. He was adopted by Joseph. So he is an adopted son of Boaz and Ruth. And he's actually a born son of Boaz and Ruth through Mary. The historical record of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, from Abraham to David. Solomon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior. Guys, you, you can't write a better novel. You... you because this isn't a story, this is the truth. This is what God does. And if you're like Naomi and you're at a place where you think, God can't use my life, I'm done. Or you're at a place where you, you've surrendered your life and you think you're, it's worth it. Like Ruth, who's giving her life to this. Can I just tell you, you have no idea what's going to happen five or six generations from now. You have no idea how your simple faithfulness can turn the world upside down and can change human history. And you not running to another God and running to another thing. If you'll just stay with him and stay with his plan and say, whatever, I'm yours. I surrender. God can do this kind of stuff. If we won't run to the other gods and run to their pleasure and all. If we just say, God, you're my pleasure. You're everything. I'm going to trust you. It may not happen in your lifetime. You may just be an Obed. I don't know, but can I just tell you, this is amazing that God chose this, this Moabitess, this Ruth, to just show us what it means to live a simple life of caring for people, loving God and loving people, and doing it in a way that says, I just trust you. And when you see Ruth's heart in the next few chapters, it's so glorious. Her heart to just want to do right by God and people is amazing. And God says, I want to put that in my story. I'm bringing the next kid through you so that he can father a child who fathers a child. Who, so it comes all the way back to when I want to bring the God-man, my son, in human and godly form into the world, it's going to be through Ruth. So the world has to admit she's incredible. And what I did in her was incredible. And her response to me was incredible, even though it's four chapters. And it was in a terrible period of human history, the judges. God says, will you let me use you?